go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be starting with that passage in just a moment. Genesis chapter 3. It's good to see uh, all of you here. If you're a member, it's good to be able to worship with you once more and uh, be able to sing praises to our God together. If you're visiting with us, we're extremely glad that you're here. You're our honored guest, and we appreciate that you uh, visit with us, and we ask that you just allow us to get to know you a little bit better uh, after the services. If you're uh, a visitor that's come back, we really appreciate you coming back, and uh, just glad to be able to get to know you a little bit more. Um, I want to uh, begin in Genesis chapter 3 um, and, and look at very briefly just a portion of what we find between Adam and Eve and God as, as right after they have committed the first sin, what the aftermath is, the consequences are of that. Before we get to that, the, the reason that we're going to start here is because a few weeks ago, if you recall, if you were here, we, we talked about um, the need to think just more deeply, the need to meditate and consider more the Word of God and how that needs to be our ultimate guide in every decision we make all the conclusions that we form and all the opinions that we have. We don't ever want them to be uh, formed or forced through any other uh, guidance or counsel than God. At, at least we don't want that to be our sole uh, counsel. This needs to be our sole counsel. This needs to be the thing, the, the guide that we come to first and foremost that we end with and that we let um, determine how we view everyone else's uh, uh, maybe suggestions and counsel. This needs to be what uh, makes that ultimate final decision. We really want to mean it when we read the words and when we say them out loud, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. I, I don't just want to cite that or quote that. I want people to see that I live by that standard, by his standard, not my own. And so Christians should be purely, wholly spiritually minded people. Clearly, the world does not like to think very deeply about much, especially when it comes to spiritual things and eternal things. Um, last week, we expanded, uh, expounded upon that by discussing, really, the differences between how the world uh, looks at what is shameful, what they say should be praised, and what God says is shameful, and what should be exalted. And how, in contrast, they, they each desire, they each have a standard that are completely opposed to one another. We want to make sure that we're on God's side and not looking like the rest of the world. One of the things that we mentioned that, that God says is shameful is immodesty and exposing what God says needs to be covered, exposing nakedness. Uh, both in inwardly and outwardly, God wants us to be modest. Now, I know that this is uh, more of a touchy subject. It can be, at least. It's uh, uncomfortable. Whenever it comes up, inevitably, it's always going to be a harder conversation to have, but because it's still winter and we're not in summer yet, this is one of the safest times to talk about it because everyone is still bundled up, <laughs> and there's usually not too much of an issue in the wintertime, but it is going to be getting warmer soon. It already kind of started, and we want to make sure that when the, the uh, more pleasant weather comes, that we do not follow the trend like the rest of the world. We want to look like God's people. We want to reflect holiness and godliness, and so... As we think about modesty, uh, at some point I want to look at what it means to have a modest mind and a modest heart. But I think what we have to start with is that outward appearance. 
what does this look like outwardly? Because ultimately, as we're going to say in a moment, uh, uh, towards the end, a modest uh, appearance reflects a modest heart. If you have an immodest appearance, if you're immodest outwardly, that just shows that you don't have the modest heart. And so I think that we need to start at a very simple, basic foundation because a lot of times people, they, Christians even, we want to know how to be modest. We want to know what we're supposed to cover up. But a lot of times people, and I've even heard gospel preachers say this at times, that God really does not give us any lines. He does not give us any lines to respect. He doesn't really show us what needs to be covered up. It's just, it's free reign for everyone. We already looked at what happens during the time period of the judges when everyone does right in their own eyes. I, 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 I certainly don't want to just draw arbitrary lines and make up my own and force that upon others, but I want to see what God has said is nakedness. And I think this is how we figure out what we need to cover up. What has God said? What has he associated with that shame of nakedness? And so that's what I want to do this morning. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 7, it says, after they have seen it says, the eyes of both of them were opened, Adam and Eve, and they knew that they were naked. And they threw fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called, and then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to? Now, there, there's much more to take from this passage, but I want to look at the, the, the question that God starts off with in, in verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? And, I, and I, what I want to do is take this question and apply it to modesty, and in terms of what we were talking about a few weeks ago, are we taking the world standards or are we taking God's? Who told us, who told me that I was naked? Who, where am I getting that standard of what needs to be covered up from? So who are we going to for the answer? So just very basically, I want to make this a very simple lesson. You start with the question of what has God declared as nakedness? What has he said is associated with nakedness? Well, again, starting in Genesis chapter 3, I just, how does God cover Adam and Eve? Even after they try to cover themselves, it's not enough. Even, even Adam expresses that in his answer. They still had to hide because they covered up, but it was not enough. They were still considered naked, especially in the presence of God. Now, God does not leave them in that naked state. He provides for them. In, in verse 21 of chapter 3, it says, uh, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, I will just say, granted, in Genesis chapter 3, it doesn't get into great detail of what did these look like exactly. But the word that's used here, I'm not sure why it's uh, translated garments here, but it is the same word that you find over and over again, especially when you get to Moses and the law, when they talk about, tunic. It is the exact same word that is used for tunic in the Old Testament. And we do know what a tunic would look like generally in, in, in the Jewish culture. Uh, it, it, it's actually in Exodus chapter 28, Exodus 28 in verse 4, as it's talking about the what, what uh, they're supposed to make for the priests, for Aaron and his sons, it says, these are the garments which they shall make, a breastpiece and an ephod and a robe and a tunic, that's the same word that you find in Genesis 3 and verse 21 of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister as priest to me. Now we're going to look at several other passages. But I just wanted to show you at least one instance where that word that we find in Genesis 3 is used, and not just as garments, but as tunics. And it most often is translated as tunic. It 
exact same words that the Jewish people would use uh, as, as they would talk about this tunic. And what we know is that from, from and I, I looked into the, I, I tried to do as much study as I could on this, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to exaggerate at all, but minimum, what you find over and over and over again, from the vines to the straw, to, to, to many different sources, a tunic minimum would cover from the shoulders to the knees. Now again, I want to make the case for this even more with several other passages. But just from the outset, I think that this is a, a pretty good indication of how God clothed them. What did God say? How, how did he take care of their nakedness? He clothed them with a tunic. And, and from, every, from every evidence we have, that goes from the shoulders to the knees. So this is not just some thing that, oh, Church of Christ people always say. This is not just something that the preacher always is going to say. There's a reason that you've heard time and time again from shoulders to the knees. And it's because, for one instance, in the very beginning, it seems to be that is how God covers completely Adam and Eve. Um, and, and I would just add to that, the New American Standard Bible, in, uh, there, when you get to Genesis chapter 37 in verses 3 and 23, it's very interesting. As it talks about this uh, multicolored cloak that was given to Joseph, it's the same word for tunic. What's interesting is the footnote of the New American Standard in that passage of Genesis 37 verses 3 and 23, it says in the footnote, full-length robe. So it, it's not like this is just coming out of nowhere. It's not like people are just making things up several times you have a very good indication of what that tunic looked like. Now again, what I want to do is not just go to one passage and say, well, this is this is nasty. Now, I, I think this is a pretty good passage to go to. But I want to look at several other passages and see how consistent God is throughout in what is nakedness and what needs to be covered. And all of these passages are just going to emphasize uh, uh, whether it be in uh, talking about several different places on, on the body or, uh, or just individually, several passages talk about each of these sections from shoulders to knees as something that needs to be covered. So first of all, what you find is the chest, the torso area, the breast especially, is talked about as being uh, naked and bare, particularly in Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel uh, speaks a lot about the shame that Israel brings upon themselves. He speaks a lot about how they have done this through their spiritual harlotry. In Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning in verse 6, it says, When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. So what he's starting out at is almost talking about them as an infant, in their infancy, and how he brings them up. In verse 7, you see some growth. I made you numerous like plants of the field. Then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love, so I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you to that, uh, so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Now here, a few body parts are mentioned, but, and I'll just start, <laughs> just, just want to start here uh, from the very outset, especially in Ezekiel. God sometimes uses now, that doesn't mean that we need to shy away from that. It means we need to understand why he's using that language. And in verse 7, when it talks about it, when it, it, use, it talks about these body parts, and in verse 8, associating those body parts with nakedness as they are exposed, what, what he's saying is, you, you started in your infancy, but I, I, told, I said to you, live. And you grew to the point where you could put on fine ornaments. He's essentially saying, you've reached, you've reached the age of, of maturity. 
essentially reach the age of, pu- of puberty. And things that weren't always looking this way, now they are forming. And when it talks about the, the, the hair had formed, again, that's talking about the private parts. And I, I don't want to get, I, I hope you don't think that I'm just trying to get, you know, just as, as vulgar as possible. I'm not saying that. What I am trying to say is God said that this was naked and bare. And because he says that, as he associates that with nakedness, we need to understand that, therefore, that is something that needs to be covered. If he says that this is shameful to expose, then we need to cover that. Um, over in Hosea chapter 2 and verses 2 through 5, Ezekiel chapter 23, as you see on the screen, both of those uh, passages, it just it reemphasizes what we already see in Ezekiel chapter 16. Specif- speaking specifically of, about uh, the, the breast in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, and let her put away her harlotry from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts. Or I will strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like desert land, and slay her with thirst. Also, I will have no compassion on her children, because they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go after many lovers, my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Now, I'll just, I, I want to answer another question that could inevitably come up, especially in Hosea chapter 2 and Ezekiel 23. He speaks of these body parts in comparison to spiritual harlotry. Now, someone could look at this and say, well, this is figurative language. Well, that's true. But what is figurative language based off of? But a literal uh, interpretation, a literal language. So when I say that, you know, a fellow, he, he, he begins work on his house and you know, I didn't do this too long ago, so this this is definitely the case. You start working on your house, and you try to do a bunch of projects all at once, and you realize, and, 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 and I say, well, I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. Well, you bit off more of your house than you could chew? Well, I'm using figurative language, aren't I? But you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not talking about, you know, literally biting off that, that uh, you know, like a piece of meat or something, but even though I'm using it figuratively, you understand what that means. Based off of the literal, uh, based off of the, the literal um, uh, the translation or the literal uh, application, and so it's not like it's not like God is, is even using random language here as He's talking to His people. He can use this in such a way. He can speak in this figurative way because I would say even they, in their sin, even though they were going away from God, they associated these things still with shame. It's not like he would use this and expect them to understand that this is shameful unless there was already that, that understanding that this is shameful to expose this. And so, yes, it's using figurative language at times, but that, that doesn't take away what he is saying, that this is associated with nakedness and it is shameful to expose uh, outside of, of, of marriage to deliberately expose ourselves in public in that way. Well, not only in this area do you see this, but you also see it with hips in Isaiah chapter 20. It even uses the word buttocks. That's biblical language that I'm trying to use here. I, I don't want to get too much more uh, you know, detailed than I have to, but over in Isaiah chapter 20, Isaiah chapter 20, it, beginning in verse 2, it says, at that time the Lord spoke to Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot, three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. 
then they will be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope and Egypt their boast. So here he's talking about a punishment. What's the punishment? Your shame will be exposed. And he associates uh, this area with that shame of being exposed. And again, it's, it looks like figurative language, but even here, it's not all figurative because he uses Isaiah as an example. Now, someone may look at that and say, well, he made Isaiah do this. Well, this is not the example you want to use if you're trying to say this is, this is clearly not nakedness. The whole point he uses, uh, that he uses Isaiah in this way is to give the example. You don't want to look like that. This is a prophet that's trying to teach God's will. That's trying to teach especially God's warning to the people. And so here you see that associated with nakedness. You even see this in 2 Samuel chapter 10. It's um, as David sends um, some of his servants to a pagan uh, city. The king takes them, and what does he do? He shaves half of their beard, and he cuts their garments up to their hips. And all that is exposed, and he doesn't do that to exalt them, incidentally. He doesn't do this saying, I'm going to do David a favor. I'm going to do y'all a favor. I'm I'm going to do this, and you guys are going to look so good going back. This is just a transition. Doing that to shame them. He's doing that to punish them. And so even there, you kind of see a good example of how this would have been shameful, even in even in the Jewish culture, even in the pagan culture, they understood this is not what you want to expose. And so here you, you see a couple examples of, of how God associates these uh, body parts with nakedness. Well, clearly, I'm not going to get into much detail about this because I think this is pretty obvious, but the private area. The, the, the loins. Even we already read about this in Ezekiel chapter 16. You can go back there and see how he talks about that. But uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 3 even, you see um, that how Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves, that was still insufficient. It, it basically was loin covering. Now, they did that. They covered the, you know, their loins. And yet, what did Adam say? I'm still naked. Even Adam admits, I'm naked. God does not say, oh, no, you're fine. In fact, as we already saw, he covers them fully in verse 21. And so, again, here I don't think we need to get into as much uh, detail, uh, but I didn't want to give no example of where you see this. There's a, there's plenty of examples where you see that the, that uh, God says that this is not supposed to be exposed, especially, as, as we're going to see in just a moment, in Exodus chapter 28. But when you get to Exodus 28, it also speaks of the thigh. Uh, Exodus chapter 28 this is a very interesting passage. Exodus chapter 28, beginning in verse 40. Or, uh, yes, beginning in verse 40 of Exodus chapter 28. He says, For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, you shall also make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them for glory and for beauty. You shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen breeches to cover their bare flesh, and that word bare is... Is, is translated in other places in the Old Testament as naked. So essentially what he's saying is their naked flesh, they shall reach from the loins even to the thigh. Now, when you say, well, what, 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 what's your thigh? I mean, your thigh is just right there. I mean, that's pretty clear, I think. It's right here. That's the thigh. Now, he says from the loins to the thighs, you don't want that exposed. That needs to be covered. And so they make these linen breeches added on to the clothes they were already going to wear to make sure that that would not, be, would, would not be exposed. What's interesting is you could go to Exodus um, 
oh, I can't remember where it is now, but he talks about how they need to be careful about walking up steps. I believe it's Exodus chapter 20, but I may be wrong about that. But uh, actually, no, it is Exodus chapter 20, very quickly, in verse 26, at the very end of the chapter. He says, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar, so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. And so not only does he say you need to cover these things, but he even goes further and says you need to be thinking about potentially how could you expose this nakedness. One way is you don't want to step up the altar so that no one will see that. And sometimes it's a good idea maybe for us to do that. You know, I, 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 I'm, I think that Paige looks amazing in dresses and skirts, but sometimes there are very windy days and we need to be a little bit careful. I mean, we just had a day just this week where the wind, I mean, it blew the cover off of my uh, of this little gazebo thing that was in our backyard. It just tore it straight off. You want to be careful. You want to be extra careful if it's a windy day and you're wearing something like that because it, it's very possible that something's going So what do we do? We make sure that we take provision, that we take precautions to make sure that it won't be exposed. And so if you're going to step out of your car, maybe, maybe you kind of keep your hands down and make sure nothing can go up. And even men need to take precautions in this. We're going to talk about this in a moment. But this is not just a woman issue. I think this is one way that we have taken the world standard over God because we have essentially almost made modesty and covering our nakedness only about women. I love the article that, that I put in the bulletin. That's the reason I put it in the bulletin because I think one of the points that Brother Garlock is just so accurate. It is so arbitrary and it is completely unfair to have a standard for Christian women not hold that same standard to the men. Especially when God has made no distinction. From the shoulders to the knees, God says, that's nakedness. And just because you're a man doesn't mean you get to expose something uh, that, that women cannot. And so, here he says that from the loins to the thighs, that is the bare flesh. That is the naked flesh that needs to be covered. We won't go to Isaiah chapter 47, but it essentially says the same thing. I, I will say, though, as just a, a side note, it uses, uh, in the New American Standard, it uses the word leg I want to be fair as I talk about modesty. I want to be as, as, as fair as possible and as consistent. Generally, that word is translated to thigh. And, and, and if we're trying to see, as I am preaching through this, again, I don't want to give just my own standard or make arbitrary rules. I want to look at what God has said. And if I can't say for certain that, that uh, like we have in the past few moments, that these things God has said, that is exposing nakedness, I'm not going to say it. Now, I will just add that sometimes you would have tunics that would be uh, sleeveless or the sleeves would go down to the breast. You would even have some tunics that would go past the knees all the way down to the ankles. Incidentally, I'm not saying that the minimum was ankle, shoulders to ankles or even, you know, from, from shoulders to wrists because, honestly, that I, I couldn't say that. What I want to say is, is minimum what has God said. And what he says is from the shoulders to the knees. I don't, and quite frankly... I think you just, just looking at the passages that we have for the last few moments and seeing what God has said about this, generally, uh, I think we have people every now and then look at this and, and they immediately become sorrowful because it does not fit their own standard or the way they have been living. And I'm not trying, I don't preach this in, in a way as to, to, as to try and make you just feel terrible about yourself. I preach on this because I think that this is something that always needs to be on the forefront of our minds. And I think that over the last few generations, it has just changed so much. We don't want to look like the world. We want to 
go strictly to God's word and see what he has said needs to be covered, what he says is negative. And we want to make sure that we're making up random standards for coming to his. Again, I've heard a gospel preacher that that, that I have respect for, even, in one of his lessons on modesty, he essentially said, well, you know, sometimes people go on and they try to draw lines, and you can't do that. But then later on, he said, well, you have Christians going out on beaches, and they're wearing bikinis, and you just know that's wrong. I was like, how? How? You've taken away any standard for someone to know. It's unfair to, to say, well, that's clearly wrong. You have given no evidence to help the brother or sister to, un- to come to that understanding. I don't want to do that. I want to see what God has said, and this is what God has said. And so, with that being said, I want to just put a few pictures up on the screen. None of them are going to be uh, of, of people. But I just want to put a few pictures on the screen of just certain clothing items that sometimes people will wear. And I want, I just want to ask the question, would this pass the test of what God has said is nakedness? Could a Christian wear these? So you have something like bikinis, things that you see on the beach, that you see people wearing all the time on the beach. Or you have even, uh, for men, you even have something like a Speedo. Let me just tell you, (laughs) that doesn't cover much. That covers almost nothing. In fact, I would say that, that the beachwear that you see often, it's the exact same attempt that Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, uh, make in trying to cover their nakedness. It was loin covering. That's it. And both God and Adam show as nakedness. It's nakedness that can come in the presence of God. Like that. But this doesn't pass the test that God has given us. That does not, that, that clearly exposes far too much of what God has said needs to be covered up. Well, you know, sometimes you talk about, you know, the two-piece swimsuits, and some people will say, well, you know, I try to go more modest. I, I wear I wear a one-piece. Even here, I would say that there's there's still way too much being exposed, and a lot of the time you'll, you'll see the one-pieces where it's just a deep plunging from the front, and much of the chest is exposed. But I would just, I, I want to put another picture up here, and I, and I want to ask a very, very, question. When, when you wrap gifts for, for, for Christmas or birthdays, whatever, when you wrap a gift, do you wrap it so that way they can tell exactly what it is by looking at it? Or do you wrap it in such a way as to make it a surprise when they open it? You don't want to look at a gift and think, oh, a bike. And, and, and that's the picture I want to show. Does, does, does this cover the bike? Oh, it does. It changes the color. You see it plain as day. Yes. Yes, it, it looks different. It's displayed differently. But come on. We know better, don't we? And I wanted to bring that up just to, just to make the case. I, 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 think that we can, I think that we can come to this understanding pretty easily. A lot of the times it's just so easy to come to this kind of discussion, come to this topic, and immediately get defensive. But we can't do that when we're talking about the gospel and the effect it's supposed to have on our lives. Isn't that what we always talk about when we're trying to evangelize the people? Jesus requires much from you. In fact, there are some people where we're going to have to say, he requires for you to change your entire life. We expect people to respect that. And when they come to it so defensive and, and just completely unwilling to listen, what does that do? It hinders their ability to respond to the gospel. Sometimes I think even Christians can have that same kind of just, just defensiveness from the outset no willingness to talk. We can't do that. We need to let the gospel have its full effect on us. 
good you look Is it something that accentuates your body to the point where it leaves nothing to the imagination? No, that's still exposing much. That essentially accomplishes the same thing that spray paint would. Well, I'm covered with paint, and you know what? It's changed the color. That's all it did. Everything is being exposed. And I think you could go that Wives, would you like for your husband to, to go to, well, every woman likes their husband to go to the gym, but, but well, let's say that he goes to the gym, and every single morning that he's there, there's this, I don't know, there's, there's some class of only women where they're doing uh, either yoga or some kind of uh, extracurricular activity, and every single one of those women are wearing bikinis, or every single one of those women are wearing, more so specifically, very tight clothing that, yes, changes the color, but leaves nothing to the imagination. Are you with them being around that class of women? No. I mean, there's no room to No. Of course not. You'd be uncomfortable. You don't want your husband to be tempted like that. I'm in the same way with, with wives. And husbands don't, wouldn't want that either. And so, I think that we can be more sensible about that. Uh, as we already indicated, there's a lot of signs in businesses that say no shoot, if there's no, no, no service. Is it okay because you have a male, not a, he's not a female, but he's running in the neighborhood and he's got a shirt off. Is that okay? No. Because we've already, we've already shown God's word saying that that nakedness and that is not for you to just give out to everybody. That was specifically for, for your spouse. And it diminishes our value. And it doesn't change just because it's a, it's a male and not a female walking around or running around like that. Or you look at uh, something like short shirts or mini skirts. Let me tell you something. This covers nothing. It, it covers a very small portion of, of the loin. But let me, let me tell you what we read in Exodus chapter uh, 20, 28 in verses 40 through 42. From the loins to the thighs, let me tell you, that explains a lot. Priest would not be the case. Hey, oh, you know what? It covers a little bit of that. No, you don't. You're a priest. You're supposed to represent more. You're supposed to be better. Aren't we a kingdom of priests? A, a royal priesthood, a king, a holy nation. But this doesn't cover God's standard of what nakedness is. Now, this is going to look like the exact same picture of what you just saw. The only difference with these two, this is specifically tailored and marketed to men. What terrifies me is it looks exactly the same as the short shorts that's marketed to women. And so, I mean, honestly, for me personally, I think the only thing that males need to hear is you're wearing the same thing that the women are wearing. That, and I pretty much I think that's going to be enough. But for some, it's not. And you even see sometimes in, in basketball or in sports, it, the, the, the clothes are designed in this way. Well, it's a sport. Well, I'm just trying to play basketball. Okay, you're exposing well, I get, it, I'm not trying to do that. I just want to play the sport. I just want to, okay, you can play the sport, but you can also do it more, you can do it modestly. You can do it in such a way that does not open up your shame for everyone to see. Uh, I, I would just add to this when it comes to short shorts, when it comes to the thigh, sometimes the question comes, well, how much of a thigh can be shown? And I like this example that someone said. It, if, if, if you were told, if God said, if any sunlight hits your thigh, you will immediately be struck with cancer. Do you think that anyone would be asked?
people would start wearing those, those capris, even men. Those that go all the way down to the chins. I think it's, I, I, I actually like the way capris look on women. I don't know how they look on men. But if that's what the Bible says. That's what God says. I'd probably start wearing them. Because I, I want to make sure I'm not going to come to that cavalier. Because that is a consequence that I don't want. And this is one of the reasons we talked about shame last week. Shame is a consequence of sin, but it is a consequence that the world looks at that doesn't need to be worried about anymore. But God's people need to look at shame in that kind of way. It's a consequence of sin. I do not want it. That's, that's too far. And so we need to look at it in that same kind of way. We're not going to approach that cavalierly. Um, and so uh, finally, the last picture I want to bring up is, is just if you go, you have dresses that are deep plunging, that expose much of the chest, even on, on the very right of that picture, it goes all the way down to the ankles. The only thing that's exposed is, is the, the breast and the chest. But that even is still too much. And you have people, Christians that will say things like, but this is my wedding day, this is my only wedding day, this is my big day. Please, sure. I think there's a, a way that we have kind of made it, uh, weddings are almost a heathenistic kind of, uh, of, of ceremony, but that's another conversation because we do approach it in such a way as to say, it's my day and I don't care about any other considerations. And people, will, even Christians, will do this. I do, this is the only day that I'm going to be able to wear this dress, and so I'm going to wear what I want to at the cost of, of exposing what is supposed to be a, a, a beautiful thing of inviting shame on yourself, of exposing your shame, of exposing your nakedness. I think we can be sensible when coming to this conversation. None of these that we just saw, none of these pass the test. Well, I just want to end by answering a few objections that some may say when it comes to this topic. First of all, some may say, well, that's just your opinion. This is one of the most frustrating things that I have run into when I have talked to fellow Christians about modesty. People say, well, that's just your opinion, that's just your judgment. First of all, this is another conversation, but when it comes to Romans 14 and judgments that Christians make, if it is a topic, if it's a conversation that needs to be had in the future, that's not a matter of judgment. If it's something where we say, well, that's something we're going to have to get to at some point, it's not a matter of judgment. It's something that has to be dealt with at some point. Uh, but beyond that, I, I think just very often people are unwilling to approach the conversation when they know there's going to be disagreement, first of all, but when they know especially that there is going to be application in their own life that's off kilter application God wants us to make. It should not be to talk about modesty and talk about what is nakedness and what needs to be covered. So when someone says, that's your opinion, or, or God has made no life, it's not a valid deal with the scripture that we just looked at. You're going to have to look at those passages and say, God does not mean what he says. Beyond that, you have some people that the main issue is, is really the man who lusts. And I will just admit, granted, that's an issue that must be dealt with. But this lesson isn't about that. It's not about the lust of the flesh. It's not about wandering eyes and making sure that we are keeping our eyes away and averted from uh, what we shouldn't be looking at. The most urgent thing, though, is that you need to put some clothes on. The most urgent thing is you are naked and you need to cover up. We can get to that man who lusts, but let's deal with the most urgent thing first. 
all of it, all of it is not ideal. All of it is sinful. And so you can't look at another person's sin and say, well, they're doing something, so that means that what I'm doing is okay. We don't have to go. No, you don't get. You don't get to just say, well, we're not going to talk about it because other people aren't perfect. We're never going to talk about it. Because we all sin. But we need to deal with what we are, are doing that may be off kilter from God's strictures, from God's scripture. Uh, you may have someone who says this isn't about dress. Rather, it's about having a modest heart. And again, I, I would say, you know, it, it is about having a modest heart, but this is about dress as well as the heart. Even if I conceded that it was not at all about dress and only about inwardly, uh, about uh, uh, the, the modesty of the heart, immodest clothes still would reveal an immodest heart. Nakedness that this heart still needs to grow and it needs maturity, specifically in God's Word. And so it, it, it is about a modest heart, but it is also about making sure that that modest heart brings about the proper application. So are we covering our nakedness? Some may say, you know, it's really hard to find clothes, and this one I understand completely. It is very hard. Me and Paige have a rule that if you find modest clothes, and especially one that you really like, get it. Because I can't tell you how hard it is in the past to find pants that aren't going to be see-through when she has to kneel down and get something. That the pants that are not going to be very tight and expose much only change the color of her skin. Now, even though that may be the case, you know, you're looking at me and you're saying, we have a wife that makes pregnancy look just adorable. And I, I, I know. She does. She looks, I, I, I love everything that she wears. I love how she looks in every way. But you're right about that. But just because that may be correct, that does not mean that we just get to walk around naked. Again, you're having, you're saying, well, but this isn't fair because of one instance. So does that mean that you just get to keep on sinning? The man who's addicted to pornography can look at his wife and say, she is not fulfilling her end of the covenant. She is not being respectful, and she is not, she is not giving me what is, what I'm supposed to have. We are not, uh, uh, we are not able, we, she is not giving me those conjugal rights that Paul even says we need to give each other. Granted, maybe that could be the case. But that doesn't mean that you get to keep doing pornography and using that. That's still a sin. Finally, we have used many passages, especially from the Old Testament, in looking at what nakedness, what God associates nakedness with. And so some may say, we're not under Old Testament law, so all of that is it's void, is invalid. Very quickly, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And this will be our last uh, passage. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1. It says, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Notice in the next couple of verses, who did he use as an example in making this point? For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. What does Paul use? The Old Testament. He uses Sarah, 
all the way back in Genesis to make a point about modesty. And so, no, you don't get to say, well, that's the Old Testament. It doesn't matter. <laughs> because God said, are we covering our shame? Are we, are we coming to God to figure out what that looks like, to figure out what needs to be covered? Or is it the world who is telling us whether we're naked or not? Like I began, as we started talking about this topic, this is always an uncomfortable discussion to have. It's always uncomfortable for the preacher to talk about it. Even though it's uncomfortable, it needs to be talked about. But I would just say, after all that, my goal is not to make anyone feel just despicable and to make anyone feel sorrowful, though, like Paul, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8-11, through 11, if I, through the Scripture, brought sorrow to you, I, I do not regret it, though I do regret it. And what was he saying? I, I didn't want to make you hurt. I have no desire to make you feel bad about yourself. But if I brought you sorrow that produced that godly sorrow to bring you closer to the Lord, then I don't regret it. And so in the same way, I, I would just hearken back to what Paul says in that area of, of sorrow. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. But while the gospel is a light that exposes our shame, it is that double-edged sword. It cuts and it hurts at times. But while it is that way, it is also a beacon of light that exposes our hope. While it is the, the light that exposes the darkness and exposes our shame, it is also a beacon that exposes our hope. And, and so don't come to this, don't come away from this lesson sorrowfully thinking, why does the Bible have to say that? Or as we looked at these passages that, that where God says this is nakedness, don't say, not what I want to do here. Rather, come away recognizing that God has covered my shame with the death of His only begotten Son. And what a shame indeed it would be to diminish that sacrifice in front of all by exposing what He has covered. In Genesis chapter 3, I think it's just a, a, a pretty good comparison to make when you look at how Adam and Eve, they try the shame of their sin. Not just nakedness, but sin. And, and what they it's, a, it's just a pitiful attempt for themselves. As they try to make themselves right, there's nothing they could do. What it takes is God to cover them. What it takes is His cover. And in the same way, if you're not a Christian, I would just say beyond just nakedness, there's nothing and no one, not even yourself, that will be able to cover the shame of sin. Only God can so we want to just ask the question all throughout this is, is what would please the Lord? What would please the Lord is that you allow Him to cover you, to cover that shame of sin. And He does so through the death of His only Son. Are you willing to put, be clothed into Christ? If you believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you are willing to repent of your sins, confess that He is the Son of God, confess that you will, that you will give yourself to the King for all your days, be baptized into His death, arise in of his life, but again, be clothed in him. You can make that happen this morning. If you are subject to the invitation of Christ, if you need the help of the brethren here, let us help you in any way that we can. Come forward as we